Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then That was American poet Robert Frost reading what is surely his most well-known poem, The Road Not Taken. Originally published in the Atlantic Monthly in August 1915, The Road Not Taken is celebrating its 100th anniversary this year. And 2015 also brings another important cultural milestone, although this one's slightly different. Remember Back to the Future 2? Ever since its release in 1989, people have used the future presented in that movie as a sort of touchstone for how we're doing. Back to the Future 2 brought us self-tying shoelaces, robot dog walkers, and of course, Get up! hoverboards. Well, this week marks the exact date that Doc Brown, Marty McFly, and Jennifer traveled to in Back to the Future 2, October 21st, 2015. Now, if you look at both of these works, The Road Not Taken and Back to the Future 2, they might seem vastly different. Though Frost and Doc Brown share a zeal for scientific achievements and exploration. But beneath the surface, both works examine the idea of choice. They highlight the kinds of choice we have, how we make choices, and the impact of those choices on our lives. Brett, you gotta come back with me. Where? Back to the future. What? Since when do you travel through time? Brett, I edit the show. It's not really that hard. I just hit fast forward and rewind. Nick, look, I just started recording this week's show. The pressure's on. There's work to do. I don't have time to go see whatever it is you want me to see. Besides, what's the big deal? I mean, do we become assholes or something? No, 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 no. You and I both turn out fine. It's the show, Brett. Something has to be done about the show. Now, just put your hand on the keyboard. (laughs) Wait a minute, Nick. Are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a MacBook? Like I said, Brett, fast forward and rewind. And if my calculations are correct, when this baby fast forwards at 88 times regular speed, you're going to see some serious Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, pop culture, and experience. Great Scott! This week, we explore the most popular American poem ever written and time travel. But there is no reason to go back to the future as the future is right here. And we discuss hard choices, how to identify them and how to make them. My name is Brett Gaida, and I am your host. All right, Nick, what's going on? Where are we? When are we? Uh, it's still your office, Brett. I mean, it doesn't look that different, does it? Oh, no. So, so when are we? Well, we're at the end of the show. What? Yeah, I brought you to the end of this week's show. You created a time machine out of a MacBook. I mean, I assume we can go anywhere in time, and you tear me away from recording a show to bring me 16 minutes into the future? 
What the what? Listen to this. And so in closing, we turn to O Captain, my captain, for guidance. Robert Frost said, two roads diverged in the wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. We all have a great need for acceptance. But you must trust that your beliefs are unique, your own, even though others may think them odd or unpopular, even though the herd may go, that's bad. (laughs) I mean, when it's all said and done, wouldn't you rather fail at being yourself than succeed at being someone else? Besides, as they say, you have to be yourself because everyone else is already taken. I don't get it, Nick. What's wrong with the show? It sounds cool. It may sound cool, but it's wrong. Don't take it personally. Look, check out the title of this book just released by David Orr. The Road Not Taken, Finding America in the Poem Everyone Loves and Almost Everyone Gets Wrong? See, you're not alone. But this is where there's smoke. You simply can't quote Dead Poet Society and call it a day. This show starts a chain reaction which completely destroys where there's smoke. I was in the future, I heard the reactions, people were upset, we didn't do our research, and so I reopened the edit and came back to tell you. I backtracked everything to this one event. That's why we're here today, to prevent this show from ever being released the way it is now. All right, hold on, I'm revving up the MacBook. You have to fix it, Brett, I gotta go. I'll see you at the end of the show! Um, okay. Um. Look, I- I'm just going to hit pause. In your world, I'll just be gone for one second. But I just need to step away here and, and just do a-, a little bit of research. Okay, let's try this again. In his new book, The Road Not Taken, Finding America in the Poem Everyone Loves and Almost Everyone Gets Wrong, David Orr suggests that the popularity of Robert Frost's The Road Not Taken may exceed that of any other poem ever written. He backs this up with a couple of pieces of evidence, including numbers that show the poem is searched on Google four times more than the next nearest poem, and two to three times more than other works of art such as Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby, born back ceaselessly into the past. Hitchcock's Psycho and Dylan's Like a Rolling Stone. And yet if we take a closer look at the words from this poem, we notice that it is mostly the final three lines, which appear on everything from refrigerator magnets to coffee mugs, and in music and on TV shows. Here, they are read by Robert Frost himself. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Earlier this year on NPR's The Diane Rehm Show, poet, novelist, and English professor Jay Perini commented on these lines and the poem's interpretation. You know, I still remember 50 years ago, my high school English teacher had actually handwritten those three lines, and then she had framed them with glass over them and hung them in front of the classroom. And on the first day of class, she said, Class, this is the great American poem, and these are the most important three lines you'll ever read. She said, March to a different drummer. Go your own way. Do your own thing. That is the message of this great poem. But those three lines are but a fraction of the 20-line poem. Let's take a moment here and listen closely to the entire poem. We'll have author David Orr read it for us. 
Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both, and be one traveler, long I stood, and looked down one, as far as I could, to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other, as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy, and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there had worn them really about the same, and both that morning equally lay, in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day." Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. The poem is made up of four stanzas, each five lines in length. And yet again, so often we only hear... Two roads diverged in a wood, and I... I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. But leaving out the opening two lines in that final stanza is kind of like when a movie critic writes, this is the worst movie of the summer. And then on the poster it appears in quotes as, movie of the summer. At the beginning of that final stanza, Frost first writes, I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. And so much like Marty and Doc Brown, the speaker in the poem is time traveling here. He is going to some future date where he will tell someone or many someones that he chose the road less traveled. But earlier in the poem, Frost has already told us that the roads, in essence, are equal, interchangeable. Here again is Jay Perini. He knows that he's lying through his teeth. That's a sigh of regret. He knows he's going to be putting on a mask, which will fit very poorly. It won't really be him. And so upon further examination, it does appear that as wise as Robin Williams' Mr. Keening was in the Dead Poets Society, in the case of The Road Not Taken, while it was a great message to his students, it is not the message of the poem. For this poem, perhaps it would have been wiser to turn my pop culture eyes and ears to Piper Chapman. You know, that doesn't mean what everybody thinks it means. That everyone thinks the poem means to break away from the crowd and, like, do your own thing. But if you read it, Frost is very clear that the two words are exactly the same. He just chooses one at random. And then it's only later at a dinner party when he's talking about it that he tells everybody he chose the road less traveled by, but he's lying. So the point of the poem is that everyone wants to look back and think that their choices mattered. But in reality, it just happens the way that it happens, and it does not mean anything. Well, we're not sure we agree with that last part, but certainly it seems very unlikely that this is a poem about being unique or bold in the world. This is a poem about choice. It is a poem about decisions, or perhaps more accurately, indecisiveness. And it is a poem about accepting what is, committing to it, and knowing that even if your choices are less important than you think, that does not mean you are not writing your own life. Nick, whoa, hey, I'm in the middle of recording the show. Why are you back? Am I still messing up? No, not at all. Listen to this. We turn to O Captain, my captain. It, it's changing. It's working. That's great. Um, I'm still wrestling with two different ways to go from here, but I'll figure it out. Well, in the words of the immortal Yogi Berra, if there's a fork in the road, take it. I'll see you at the end of the show. Okay.
It is not unique to say that life is a series of choices. However, those choices run the gamut from choices with minor or no consequences, like should I put my pants on right leg first or left leg first, to ones with the potential for a much bigger impact, like do I take that job offer and move to Australia? It would seem that in Frost's poem, he is addressing these latter types of choices, for these are the ones that often paralyze us in a moment and or haunt us later. Philosopher Ruth Chang calls these hard choices in her TED Talk, How to Make Hard Choices. Here she shares an idea reflective of the roads Frost describes. It's a mistake to think that in hard choices, one alternative really is better than the other. But we're too stupid to know which. And since we don't know which, we might as well take the least risky option. Even taking two alternatives side by side with full information, a choice can still be hard. Hard choices are hard, not because of us or our ignorance. They're hard because there is no best option. There is no best option. Going back to the speaker in Frost's poem who says, Though as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same, and both that morning equally lay and leaves no step had trodden black. Both that morning equally lay. So the road he will later call less traveled is actually the road equally traveled. As David Orr says, In the middle of the poem, it becomes very clear that the two roads that the speaker is confronting are actually the same, or at least interchangeable. How can that be? How could one's decision to marry one person or another be interchangeable? How could choosing to live in Australia over London be the same? The answer is that these hard choices are not black and white. They cannot be surmised with the same linear thinking that tells us this is taller than this or this weighs more than that. For these hard choices are ultimately a debate between values and our values are multi-layered and correlated. As Ruth Chang says, there's no reason to believe that in choice, there are only three possibilities. We can think beyond better, worse, or equal and introduce a fourth relation that describes what's going on in hard choices, a relation that Ruth Chang calls on a par. When alternatives are on a par, it may matter very much which you choose, but one alternative isn't better than the other. Rather, the alternatives are in the same neighborhood of value in the same league of value, while at the same time being very different in kind of value. That's why the choice is hard. And so these choices weigh on us, and we believe that if we get them wrong, the repercussions could be catastrophic. You see, this one event starts a chain reaction that completely destroys your entire family. Yeah. And this feeling, this feeling of dread over making the wrong choice, this can make us indecisive. We can be so afraid of making the wrong choice that we don't want to decide. And yet that choice, to not choose, is perhaps the worst of all. A quote attributed to Jewish philosopher Maimonides says, the risk of a wrong decision is preferable to the terror of indecision. And in The Principles of Psychology, William James wrote, there is no more miserable human being than one in whom nothing is habitual but indecision. Going back to the road not taken, many have pointed out that Frost would often claim at readings of the poem that it was based on the behavior of his friend, the English poet Edward Thomas. 
The two used to take walks together during Frost time living in England. Here again is author David Orr. And according to Frost, after they'd gone 10 minutes down the path, Thomas would immediately start regretting whatever path they took. And he would say, oh, I wish we'd gone the other way. I could have shown you something different. And so Frost claims, at least, that he initially wrote this poem as a sort of a joke at Thomas's expense. You know, you're always regretting the road not taken. Now, before you say, well, isn't there a difference between not choosing a path and regretting your choice? Consider this. What if that's the same thing? Because even if you are moving down the path, if you are still wondering about the alternative, still thinking about going back, still letting yourself act like the choice isn't over, well then have you truly chosen the path you are on? Or are you just walking on it and checking it out for a moment? Someone recently pointed out to me that though I took the action to move from San Francisco to Toronto almost six months ago, I still hadn't made the choice to move. And I couldn't argue with them. I could see what they were saying. I was still, and frankly am still, living as if it is something I sort of did, something that might change. And it's been tough for me, because it was a quote-unquote hard choice, and many values were in play. And so while I made the choice that was best to the values most important to me, I've been struggling with my identity in this new environment. And that's left me resisting the choice. And this is where I believe Ruth Chang provides us with an invaluable insight into hard choices. One that perhaps frees us from regrets and helps us see that our choices don't define us. We define our choices. You see, it's not a math equation with a correct answer. And Chang says that it's nuts to believe that reasons we've used to make decisions were dictated to us, like some absolute truth that we must do that thing or live in that city or buy that house or whatever. Instead, when faced with alternatives that were on a par, aka hard choices, we created reasons to choose one way or another. When we choose between options that are on a par, we can do something really rather remarkable. We can put our very selves behind an option. Here's where I stand. Here's who I am. I'm for banking. I'm for chocolate donuts. This response in hard choices is a rational response, but it's not dictated by reasons given to us. Rather, it's supported by reasons created by us. When we create reasons for ourselves to become this kind of person rather than that, we wholeheartedly become the people that we are. We might say that we become the authors of our own lives. So what she is saying is that in our minds, we can make ourselves into the kind of person for whom moving to Australia makes sense, or buying that house is reasonable. And then with that reasoning, we make the choice and we become that person. And from that point, I'll suggest it no longer has anything to do with that choice you made at the fork in the road. That choice is done. Now it is about the choices following. The ones we make every day and how we walk the road. And if we put our full agency behind the hard choice we already made. And I don't believe that all of this is saying to accept all the past choices we've made. 
things change. Your mind can change, your heart can change. But if you want something to be different, change it from where you are, not by trying to go back to where you were. Because despite what movies and podcasts try to tell you, you can't hop inside a time machine and go back to the past. Hey, Brett, success. Everything's cool. Great. Thanks for the heads up, Nick. Yeah, no problem. It's tricky. I mean, as the book title says, almost everyone gets it wrong. You do realize, though, Nick, that the point of the poem, as we've deciphered it, contradicts you coming back to have me change the show. Oh, yeah, I guess so. It probably would have worked out either way. Or not. I mean, who's to say it'll work out now? You know, just because we think the show's better in this moment. As Frost says, they equally lay. So in any situation, if someone could go back and take a different road, it wouldn't automatically be better. I mean, who knows what it would be, really? But I bet if someone feels sorry for themselves on the road they're on, they'd eventually feel just as sorry for themselves on the other one. And if they make it work on the road they're on, no matter the obstacles, they would make it work on the other one. You see, people are focusing too much on the roads they take or the roads not taken. It's about who we are and what we do. And the roads? Well... Well, we're going, we don't need roads. Hi, I'm Nick Jaworski, and we're going to take you right back to our scheduled programming in about 60 seconds. But we're in the middle of our semi-annual rate and review drive here at WTS, and we need your help. Did you know that the United States government contributes zero dollars to support where there's smoke? That means that we get no revenue in the support of your tax dollars. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how can something so important, how can something that is a bedrock of our society and culture, How are we not all chipping in to support it? And I know that may be surprising, but it's true. And the truth is that we're able to stay on the air through the generous ratings and reviews of viewers just like you. Each rating and review bumps where there's smoke up the iTunes charts and exposes the show to more listeners. And this is where we need your help. How can you support where there's smoke? Well, the phones are ringing off the hook right now, but you, you can simply type the words where there's smoke into iTunes Click on that lovely WTS logo, then click Ratings and Reviews, and then just write a review. It's just that simple. We're at 243 written reviews right now. We are so close. We'd love to hit our goal of 260 by next Tuesday. So just go to iTunes right now, leave a written review, and we'd we'd appreciate your help. As an added bonus, if you rate and review now, within the next 30 minutes, you'll receive the best of where there's smoke. That's 90 minutes a special WTS content that comes on cassette tape or laser disc. So rate and review now. And thanks. Before we get to our new segment, WTS Digs, I want to share an exciting partnership with all of you and announce the specifics of an event happening in Vancouver next week. 
Roundhouse Radio, 98.3 in Vancouver. It's a commercial radio station with a community focus, focusing on local content, engaging storytelling, intelligent discussions are at the core of the station. It just went on the air today. And starting today, which is Tuesday, October 20th, Where There Is Smoke will be a featured part of their storytellers show every Tuesday from 7 to 8 p.m. Pacific. Each hour will include a full show and either myself or Nick or both of us having a conversation with host Martin Strong about the episode. If you live in Vancouver, tune in to 98.3. If you live anywhere else in the world, you can stream it live at roundhouseradio.com. That's every Tuesday from 7 to 8 p.m. Pacific time. Now, on Tuesday, October 27th, we're going to be doing a live launch event at the Roundhouse Radio Studios in Vancouver. It's from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. I am going to be there. Martin and I will be recording live in front of everyone and we'll be featuring our Meaning of Life show. Plus, I'm also going to be doing a live talk following us being live on the air. Space is limited, and so we'll only be making 40 to 50 tickets available. Now, tickets are free, but we're asking for donations when you grab your ticket, as we'll be providing wine, beer, and food. So if you could help us out, that would be amazing. We always say we're all in this together, so this event's a little bit of a potluck, if you will. And any extra money collected, speaking of potluck, will be donated to the local charity, the Potluck Cafe Society. So tickets are going to be available on Eventbrite today. Keep your eye on social media for for the link and we'll send it out in an email as well. And again, where there's smoke and roundhouse radio launch party in Vancouver on Tuesday, October 27th from 6 to 10 p.m. All right, let's get to WTS Digs. All right, welcome to WTS Digs, our new segment where Brett and I share with you the movies, books, TV shows, music, whatever that have captured our attention and inspired us recently. Now, Brett, you're you're in Montreal right now, right? I am. And that's not super uncommon for us to be across the continent from each other while, while doing work. But while you're on the road, Brett, what are you digging this week? Well, my dig is actually a TV show this week, Nick, and it's a TV show that I know you dig as well, and it's called You're the Worst. And it's on FXX, which is FX's new, like, super hip, younger channel. Um, I think it's the comedy channel. Is that what it is? I don't know. I, I can't, think so. There's a bunch of X's I can't keep track. Uh, but what I do know is this show is hilarious. It started last season. It just came back for season two, which is why I'm bringing it up now. But the first uh, season, just laugh out loud funny, one of the best pilots I've ever seen from a comedy standpoint. And what I love about this show is that shows like this, this show's about the relationship between two uh, very unique people, and it's all about chemistry. And the two leads who play Jimmy and Gretchen have incredible chemistry, and I totally buy it. The supporting cast are all fantastic, and it's, I just, it's one of those shows that I just get excited about seeing every week, and I think it's still on the down low, so I kind of wanted to highlight it to our, uh, to our audience out there. Yeah, it's, it's a great show. Cool. So what about you, Nick? What are you uh, digging there in St. Louis? Well, as you know, Brett, uh, editing of an episode of Where There's Smoke, it takes some time. And I've gotten in this habit of whenever I start editing Where There's Smoke, I turn on Netflix and put BoJack Horseman on TV. So I guess we're doing two TV shows this week. Uh, BoJack Horseman is an animated cartoon about a washed up 90s sitcom star who struggles to find meaning and happiness two decades later. So its second season came out a couple months ago, and a lot of critics are saying that it is the best show on Netflix. Think about that. Think about the shows on Netflix. And if it's not the best, it's definitely worthy of that consideration. So it's got Will Arnett, it's got Allison Brie, Paul F. Tompkins, Patton Oswalt, Amy Sedaris, and it's funny and rewards very close watching, uh, but also delves into some very dark emotional terrain um, related to purpose, our need for acceptance, 
our fears of being exposed. In a lot of ways, it actually reminds me of Mad Men, which is another great show, which I know is kind of funny. So it's Mad Men with talking animals. Uh, so if you love BoJack and you're listening to this show, you should just find me on Twitter. You're my people for sure. Awesome, Nick. Well, there you go, guys. This week, we both have TV shows. Uh, we love hearing about what you're digging, too. So hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. Let us know what you're liking out there. Thanks. Where There's Smoke met a lot of new people this week. Huge gratitude and thanks to iTunes and Pocket Casts for both promoting Where There's Smoke this week. The iTunes feature banner brought thousands of new listeners our way, and at last check, we are number one in trending worldwide on Pocket Casts. It has been incredible. So first off, to all the new listeners of the show, welcome, and thank you for lending us your ears. We'll do our best to fill them with good stuff. And as we do, let's give some shout-outs. Thanks to the Audio Signal for including our The Devil You Know Procrastination episode in this week's newsletter. Go to tinyletter.com forward slash the audio signal to subscribe and get tons of great podcast recommendations in your inbox every week iTunes reviews. Atomic DJ wrote, I've found this series helpful in my business management and personal life. I manage a team of smart millennials and have found Brett's ability to relate these subjects to current events a huge help. Lace Up Biatch declared, amazing. Never wrote a review, but I decided this podcast was good enough for me to do so. Beer Nerd dubbed it my favorite new podcast. Stone Cold Fanatic from Canada who heard us on the Todd Shapiro show decided to give it a listen. Rick Wolf said, always declarative and interrogative, never imperative. As well, Vanessa M. Panagos, Pod9955, Heavy Driver, Pacific Coast Glover, and L.A. Plistener. And a few people that reached out to us personally through email or Facebook message, thank you for your words, Megan Chapman, Shelly from Dawson Creek, and Aura. And Twitter love! Some OLs on Twitter, that's original listener. Christina Gangadino, Ty Harmon, Becky Costafus, Jesse Lauren, Chelsea McKenzie, and at Dooley. First time tweeters about the show, Gurj Bassi, at Lucky Mess, Nick Furling, and Nishad Guarav. The show now has its own Twitter, at ExploreWTS, and you can find us at Brett Gaida and at Podcast Monster. Also join us on Facebook, search for Where There's Smoke. To get our upcoming newsletter and stay in the loop on all things where there's smoke, join our mailing list. On your phone, you can text the word SMOKE to 66866 or go to our website wherethersmoke.co. Where There's Smoke is reasoned, chosen, written, edited, produced, performed, and delivered by Brett Gaida and Nick Jaworski. If you're interested in having Brett speak, train, or coach at an event or within an organization, start with an email to him, brett at wherethersmoke.co. That's two Ts. And if you want your podcast to sound awesome, check out Nick's company, Podcast Monster. You can go to podcastmonster.com or send an email to nick at wherethersmoke.co. Our theme song was written and recorded by Des McKinney and remixed by Nick. Additional music in this episode performed by Blue Dot Sessions, Broke for Free, Poddington Bear, and Kevin McLeod. So as we were putting this show together, I realized Nick was going to need a faster processor to edit all of this. I looked up online what he needed. The numbers didn't really mean much to me, but when I showed him the necessary clock speed, this was his reaction. He did calm down, and we got the processor. Hopefully you agree it was worth it. Thanks for listening. We love you. 
We'll see you next week.